Welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of Grace or Grit, a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. What am I getting into? (laughs) I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as the lead pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. Along with me today is my co-host, Patrick Reed. Uh, Rather than me introducing you, Patrick, uh, why don't you speak for yourself? I always have something to say, but tell us who you are, just in case this is the first time someone has listened to us. Sure. Good morning. So this is Patrick Reed, and I'm a pre-field missionary to the Gambia uh, with my family, wife, and three children. Uh, We are working our way out to West Africa uh, to reach the Wolof people in the small country of the Gambia. Cool. And last you told me, you're at 83% of your support. All right. That's right. Yep. Yep. So uh, if anybody wants to volunteer to cover the other 17%, he can start making plans <laughs> for an overseas flight. Uh, that'd be awesome. Certainly pray for Patrick and his family. Uh, he's itching to, uh, to get to this place where God has uh, called him to go. So excited for him and for his family. Hopefully he'll still be able to zoom with us from over there and uh, we can continue to make podcasts. That'd be exciting. And join us today for our discussion is a gentleman that serves as the pastor of Faith Baptist Fellowship over in Cambridge, Maryland, Pastor Randall Blackman. Brother Randall, how are you this morning? Brother Dave's uh, wonderful. God is good and great to be with you and Patrick today. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, you're welcome, and, and I appreciate your willingness to choose the topic out of our laundry list of options, and I think you have uh, done an excellent job. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. How long have you been in Cambridge? Uh, Brother Dave, it's been, um, let's see, from 1996, trying to do the math, um, almost 35 years. Wow. Uh, January 1st next year. Uh, excuse me, let me, let me correct that. We've been in Cambridge since 1996. That makes that 25. Been in ministry for 35. Cool. And you have a twin brother, is that right? I do. He's as good looking as I am. <laughs> that's that's a safe <laughs> statement. <laughs> is, is he also in ministry? He is. He is a pastor of a uh, Baptist church in uh, Sanford, North Carolina, Swan Station Baptist Church. He's been there. That's his only church as he's pastored. He and his family have been there the whole time he's been in ministry, 30, I think he's coming up on 36 years. That is so cool. You'll have to send me a link to his church website or something so I can Will do. compare your preaching to his, you know, that's what it's about. <laughs> a lot of people have been doing that on Facebook these days. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of frightening, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've always been kind of a loose cannon behind the pulpit and I'm like, oh boy, this is getting nerve wracking here. Uh, People actually listening and watching, and uh, they can go back and listen to it again. Did he really say that? Yeah, he actually. Yeah. Did. Uh, it, now, Pastor Blackman is quite musical. Uh, Randall is your brother musical as well. He is. In fact, I think he plays a better piano than I do. Uh, we both play by ear. Uh, we didn't stick with playing the piano by notes too well when we were growing up. So our parents gave up on us and said, "No, nah, we're not paying for piano." Uh, lesson since you're not going to play what's on the page so we would just fill in you know with what we heard and 
And to me personally, I think that sounds better. <laughs> but that sounds anyway. like a sounds like a good Southern Baptist way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm not flattering you, and and it'll be embarrassing to you, but I'm telling you, you have a marvelous voice, and I love to hear you sing and play. It's very moving and very passionate and skillfully done, as the scripture requires. So, um, thank you, brother. I wish I could play the guitar like you. I wish I could play the guitar correctly. <laughs> if I could keep my fingers on the right string, I'd be thrilled. Um, so today's topic of discussion uh, may change. Uh, I've got a couple possible topics here, but I'm hoping to come up with a better one. I hope uh, maybe our discussion will reveal something to me. Uh, tentatively, I'm entitling it Repentance uh, or Regeneration as in which one comes first, the chicken or the egg, um, maybe apology or adjusted. Am I adjusted and then I apologize, or do I apologize and then am I, am I adjusted? Really what we hope to discuss uh, today is to address this question. Where does repentance fit in our soteriology, in the saving of a soul? Where does repentance fit? Is it prior to salvation? Is it the cause of our salvation? Is it, a re, is it the result of our salvation? Or is there some kind of answer that would say, no, it's kind of both? And to introduce this discussion, I want to share a few experiences with you that demonstrate that this discussion is practical and real. It's not just theoretical. Uh, and I hear sometimes people say, well, that's a theological discussion, so I'm not interested. Pump the brakes. <laughs> Theology is the study of God. And every Christian had better aspire to be a theologian because we are to know him and to know him well. So when people say that's theology, I think a lot of times they mean that's theoretical, that's uh, abstract, that's something that's difficult to understand and is not necessarily applicable to life. And Chase that thought far from your mind when it comes to this issue of repentance. I'm going to tell these stories in rapid fire so that I don't eat up our time, but to demonstrate why I'm sitting here shaking and nearly ready to cry as we talk about what some people would say is just a subpoint under soteriology under the heading of theology. Okay. So I'm not going to give these stories chronologically. I'm going to give the one that I think highlights the intensity and the importance of this issue first, and then I'll share some other stories real quickly. So one day I'm out as a youth pastor knocking on doors by myself. Maybe I could have gotten somebody to go with me, but I was by myself. I knocked on the door and I had a typical response. I was down in North Alabama at Bethel Baptist Church. I had a typical response when somebody came to the door. Hey, I'm Dave Talley. I'm youth pastor over at Bethel Baptist Church here in Hearts, Alabama. And uh, just have a few questions for you. Could I take a moment of your time? Sure, she said, young woman. Said, let me ask you this question. Do you have a church home? I don't remember her answer exactly. If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? She put up her hand. I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. She put up her hand. She stopped me. She said, wait a second. I just want you to know the man that I'm living with here is not my husband. So we can talk, and I want to talk to you, but I'm not changing this. And I was shocked. I was so shocked. Um, 
and I don't remember exactly what I said. It was something along the lines of, well, you don't have to straighten up and clean up to come to Jesus. He straightens you up and cleans you up when you come to him. Amen. He'll do the work on you. But let me tell you this. If you come to Jesus, he's not going to let you continue to live in your sin. He's going to work on you and he's going to change you. Now, that's not the worst part of the story. There was another youth pastor in town. I'll skip his name just in case some of his family would happen to listen to this pro, uh, broadcast podcast. But he was a passionate man. He was a good salesman. He was an independent Baptist preacher, just as I am. And he had started a fellowship of youth in our town. And I was so uh, torn by this situation that I told him about it. And his answer, now listen to this, his answer concerning that woman's consternation with her infidelity, his answer was, it's unfortunate that it had to come up. As if I could have tricked her into salvation if sin hadn't gotten in the way. Hmm. Now that's just one story of many that I could tell. My own salvation reflects this. I always knew about Jesus Christ. I always knew that he was the son of God and savior of the world. I can't remember not knowing that, but I was not always saved. I did not get saved until I came to a place where I was willing to repent. I wanted to trust Christ, but I could not trust him because there was no repentance. I remember as a teenager going door to door in a trailer park there in Hartzell, again, knocking on doors, passing out tracks, inviting people to ride the bus to church. And the, I was a teenager. The grown-up that I was walking with was talking with me about the gospel and the nature of salvation. And he said to me, repentance is for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. That is categorically contrary to what Paul preached. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I got some verses for that one. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> this, three more stories real quick. The Nasty Baptist Fellowship, North Alabama, South Tennessee, Independent Baptist Fellowship. It's much like the Delmarva Baptist Fellowship. We had a pastor preaching in the pulpit at this fellowship, and one of the preachers stood up in the middle of his sermon and said, excuse me. This is a room full of pastors. Did I just hear you say that repentance is not part of the gospel and not part of salvation? And our pastor basically told him, sit down. You can address this with him after the, the assembly. But that pastor, Bruce Barton was his name, and the pastor who came after him, T. Reynolds Hall, they both preached in the same church, Bethel Baptist Church, a good church. Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. Bruce Barton stood in that pulpit and said, repentance has nothing to do with salvation. Hmm. And T. Reynolds Hall stood in that pulpit and said, without repentance, there is no salvation. In the same church, with the same people, and nobody said a word. I remember going to Bill Rice, and I'm not trying to make anybody look bad. I think Bill Rice is a great man of God. But I went to him with this issue, thinking, he will solve my problem. And I said, very simply, Dr. Rice, tell me, 
where does the word intent, intention, where does it fit in our soteriology? And he laughed and he said, bless you, brother. It doesn't fit at all. He said, I'll, I'll give you the book that'll fix your problem. You need to get Charles Ryrie's book, So Great Salvation. Hmm. Well, I got that book. I was at camp that week. I got that book, read the whole book. <laughs> it didn't fix my problem. All it did was make me so mad at Charles Ryrie that I was ready to throw his book through the wall. Because he said that the word faith and repentance can be explained as synonyms. I'm like, what? Hmm. Faith and repentance are not synonyms. Faith means to depend. Repent means to change your mind. These are two different things. Maybe you can say they go together. Maybe you can say you, have one, you can't have one without the other. I'll give you that. But you can't say they're synonyms. Hmm. And then finally, I remember taking my youth group to a church. It's the church, actually, that I was born into, Emmanuel Baptist Church. My father ended up pastoring there, pastoring there years later, and my brother after that. But at that time, there was a, a fellow who pastored there um, who had hung a poem on his bulletin board. And at the end of the youth activity, I was just reading stuff on his bulletin board. You know how preachers are. They snoop on other people's stuff, trying to get ideas. And in this poem, it was, a, it was about the gospel, but it called basically me a Campbellite saying that I preach a works salvation colon, semicolon, excuse me, repent. And I asked him about it. Man, he got hot. He got mad. And he was a big guy. <laughs> and he basically ran me out of his church. Hmm. Now, you two guys know me. I'm not a fight picker. Am I? No. I don't think I am. I want to make peace with everybody, you know? But when it comes to the nature of the gospel, if anybody preaches another gospel, I read my Bible, let him be accursed. So this is why my life verse is Isaiah 55, seven, and I'll shut up and let you guys chime in here. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. Return to our God and he will abundantly pardon. If that verse doesn't preach repentance, I don't know what does. So here's my question. Repentance is clearly, in my estimation, a primary point of the scripture when it comes to the story of redemption. I don't think any of us would argue about that. Certainly y'all can chime in and tell me your thoughts, but here's the ultimate question. What comes first? My regeneration through the power of the Holy Spirit or that work of repentance that is necessary hmm. now well, randall you picked this topic so why tell me <laughs> all right well i i uh i'm gonna wade into some deep waters and i know that this is almost like you know, uh somebody says how do you eat an elephant you eat an elephant one bite at a time amen uh, so i guess we'll just start where you uh gave us the uh, uh open door dave you mentioned isaiah 55 isn't it in that same passage where he says call on the lord while he may be found Mm -hmm. call on him while he is near mm -hmm. seek the lord seek the lord but i i think uh if if you guys have a better definition or a definition biblical definition if you will of repentance now it's all in the scripture i believe the concept the reality of repentance and the need of it 
is in Scripture everywhere. Uh, but maybe for the sake of, of uh, clarification, repentance, I believe, from the Word, is something vitally important to God's power to rescue a sinner from sin, from the lost condition that we're all in before coming to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Repentance is vitally important, okay, essential. But I'll say on the other end that uh, repentance is something vitally important for us as followers of Jesus, even after conversion. Um, as we surrender our lives to him as Lord and Savior. You know, we have a spiritual struggle that's going on. If I look at it from after salvation, Brother Dave and Brother Patrick, is, is even after salvation, repentance is vitally important for our fellowship to be retained and maintained and grow and to be nurtured, that uh, we have a spiritual warfare going on. Right. Um, we have the forces of evil and darkness that want to uh, play on our flesh that is at war with our spirit. And when we come to acknowledge and understand that we need Christ's saving power every day of every minute, even after coming to him in faith, uh, then, then we're going to need to come before the Lord humbly and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry you have uh, illumined my heart to this sin or this infraction or this iniquity or this transgression. And, and God, I'm sorry that I've offended you. You're holy. You're still holy. And I'm, and I'm in the process of being made more like Jesus. So repentance, I think, is so important for the Christian as well as the unbeliever. So your answer, your initial answer is both. Repentance yes. precedes salvation, and it follows salvation. Right. I think so much so it's a part of the Christian life as well as us coming to know Jesus. And, you know, Jesus began his ministry with that message, repent. No doubt. Uh, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is how Jesus announced his coming. This is how he announced uh, his beginning of his ministry, by this message, repent. That was his first sermon that he preached, according to Matthew. And I believe it's also said in Mark chapter 1, it says that the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Yeah, and he's still preaching that in Luke 13, verses yeah. 1 through 9, which I'll not read in an extensive uh, form here. But suppose ye that these sinners were greater than other sinners because they went through some horrible thing? No, and he says, and by the way, unless you repent, you will also perish. So he's right. still preaching that in the middle of his ministry. That's right. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Normally when there's three of us on here, we actually would have a lot of disagreement, but I don't think I can disagree with you two, at least of what we've talked about so far. <laughs> right. uh, I think, uh, I know, I think, I mean, I, I would agree. I think repentance is both before or at least at the same time of salvation and also occurs after. And I think there's scripture that speaks to that. I think a lot of times where the argument might come in, particularly with Charles Ryrie's uh, book and some of his arguments is, really what the definition of repentance is as it relates to salvation itself. Mm -hmm. um, I believe he makes the argument, and I don't have it in front of me, but from my recollection, he makes the argument that repentance is simply just a change of mind, but doesn't necessarily have to result in a change of action as it relates to salvation, uh, which is where I think I would disagree with Charles Ryrie on because I think there's scripture that to me, every time repentance is talked about, at least the majority of the time, it always seems to relate when context to a change of action. For example, uh, Luke 3, 8, 
uh, bear fruits in keeping with repentance or Second um, Corinthians seven ten, And I think this is actually after, uh, repentance after salvation. But for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Right. Whereas worldly grief produces mm-hmm. death. So I think you can see in those, I mean, at least grief is tied into that repentance, grief for sin. Right. Um, bearing fruits there's a there's a result because of the repentance it doesn't just it's not just repentance like i'm just changed my mind about christ i think there's more to it than just changing my mind about who jesus christ is um it's that i'm changing my mind about the sin that's in my life that no longer do i want to keep doing that now i don't believe that that's of my own doing and that's the reason why i don't i'm not saying this is a workspace salvation because if you look at verses like um Let's see. Uh, Acts eleven eighteen. It says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Um, and I think there you can also see the order it happens. He granted repentance and that repentance leads to life or salvation. But it's God who grants the repentance. It's not me that can change my mind on my own, you know will or power or whatever you want to say god has to grant that and so god's doing the work here of the repentance in my life and so i don't believe that's teaching a workspace salvation as pastor Tyler, you said you know you were kind of <laughs> accused of in a roundabout way right right um, but i think repentance is critical to the salvation because there's just so many verses that we could go through um Again, you got 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, but just to take a section out of it, it says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Um, so, I mean, if repentance wasn't in salvation and it wasn't required for salvation, what does that mean, right? You know? Now, it, this giving and granting of repentance, do you view that as him giving space, time, and opportunity, or that there is an actual substance that he is uh, giving to the individual because there is a difference or is it both? Well, now I think we're getting into a, a whole nother debate. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that would be more of the debate along, you know, how much is your free will versus how much is, you know, um, God's sovereignty involved in this. And I think that's a very difficult question. Um, and I don't know if I have the direct answer to that, but I, I what I do believe is, what it says that God has to grant it. In other words, if it's, if it's outside of God's will, it's not going to happen. Um, sure. There's so I a, go that far. There's a, a illustration in scripture uh, that would dovetail just what you just said, Patrick, I believe about God granting repentance. I believe that repentance, uh, brother Dave, as you were uh, discussing and talking, is a gift. You know, our faith is even a gift. Right. And as like Patrick said, we're going to wade into some waters maybe for another time and another place when we talk about Calvinism plus his, you know, versus Arminianism and the sovereignty and the election of God and the predetermination and all that. Boy, that I, I, I'm glad you didn't ask me to do that uh, to uh, talk on that, brother. <laughs> yes, the topic today is it. not the topic today <laughs> is not Calvinism versus Arminianism, but <laughs> anyway, it is related. Go ahead, but, uh, Lydia. If you recall the uh, story of Lydia, she was uh, the woman in Philippi where uh, Paul and Silas were on their way there. And uh, this is in Acts chapter 16, verse 13 and following. It says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, and when we expected to find a place of prayer, 
And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. And listen to what the scripture says. She was a worshiper of God. And then secondly, more importantly, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Mm -hmm. The Lord opened her heart. I don't think any of us, no one would come to the point of repentance and faith in Christ if God did not first open our hearts. Well, now I, really, getting, I think he makes that happen. Now we're getting really close to the key issue of the day that I want to get to. The work that he did in Lydia's heart, was it a pre-regenerative work or was it the regeneration of her soul? I think that all depends on the perspective that you, you know, you come at that. Um, from God's perspective, I believe that God had been at work in Lydia's heart long before Paul got there. Sure. I think that, that was a work of the Holy Spirit. But if we talk about the indwelling Holy Spirit, does he have to indwell the person prior to repentance appearing in that person's heart? Patrick, you want to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you think on that for a second. Let that marinate. Because I want to be really clear for our listeners sake. There's some things that we may not be clear on, but I want to be really clear on a couple things. When it comes to defining repentance, there's one thing for sure. None of us are claiming that repentance merits our salvation. In other words, that God now saves us because we deserve to be saved because we're apologetic and we sincerely want to change. None of us are claiming that we merit salvation through repentance, correct? Right. Correct. I yes. agree. So, the only merit is the grace of God and the work, finished work of Christ on the cross. But if there is no repentance, salvation is impossible. It's like if I came to God and said, hey, I'm sorry that I've offended you. I want to be forgiven. I want to be your child, but don't boss me around. Well, <laughs> salvation can't be obtained that way. He is, we come to him and accept him as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not just as our Savior. And, and the second thing I want to say about that because it needs to be st stated very clearly, and it comes off of what Patrick said a few moments ago. The attitude produces the action. The action demonstrates the attitude, but the action is not repentance. It is the result of repentance. It is the proof of repentance. Which is That's, faith. Mm -hmm. Say that again. Which is faith. Which is faith. What is faith? Or which is faith as I'm kind of defining. You're saying that uh, the action, the attitude is repentance. The action is faith that we appropriate in Christ to be saved. Amen. I like that. Uh, that faith is demonstrated according to Hebrews chapter 11 in outward overt demonstrations of that faith. No doubt about that. Mm -hmm. But the, the new behavior that I have must, must not be equated with repentance because that's where you do get, get into some kind of work salvation teaching that you have to behave in order for God to save you. No, you behave because God saved you. Right. So I think both those things are really must, must be made very clear. Define repentance clearly. It doesn't merit salvation and it is not the action. So I think uh, people who, um, feel that they don't need God, you don't, you don't find them repenting. No. So repentance carries with it the idea, the reality of humility. 
yeah. before God who is holy and to recognize that we as people are not. Absolutely. So what is it that we're repenting of? You know, what is repentance about? And it is about, as we mentioned already, it literally means to turn away from sin, anything that would be disobedient to God, and turn towards Christ. Yes. They I always use that picture of repentance being a 180-degree turnaround. Yes. But it's a turnaround of the mindset That's and right. the perspective and the value which right. results in a, in a turnaround and direction of movement. Yes. Yeah, I, I, well, I would agree. I would just, I'm going to throw out another argument since we all seem to be agreeing on too much stuff. I don't agree <laughs> with this side, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. Um, and some will argue, yeah, but if repentance is so critical to salvation, then why does John and the whole book of John never mention the word repentance? Why does he never bring that up in, in reference to salvation? I wonder if you guys have any thoughts on that. Why, why would John seem like he just apparently leaves it out? Well, thanks for kicking me in the shin. I like that. Uh, <laughs> Arthur, Arthur Pink, I listened to him yesterday, and what a theologian and a philosopher and a, and a humble and godly man. Uh, he addressed this issue, um, and he said, John is written, if you look at John's own claims about his writings, it's written to believers to strengthen our faith. Uh, so he says that's why he, he focuses on, uh, like the book of Hebrews, uh, perseverance or continuance in faith and growth. Uh, it's not actually to the lost is what his, his claim is. Um, so I don't know what you think about that, Randall, but that's, that's Arthur Pink's perspective. Uh, I think that's a, a good point that uh, Brother Patrick pointed out is that what does the Gospel of John actually say, or if it's if anything, you know, as, it, it, as far as defining a definition of repentance? Well, maybe we might not be able to find, define the word or to find the word repentance, but that concept of repentance is all through the Gospel of John, even at the beginning of John. Uh, we see that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he is seeking out some answers. He wants some answers from Christ. And Jesus says, well, um, I don't know why you're marveling at this, Nicodemus, but why you marvel at the statement when, you say, when I say you must be born again? Now there, Jesus is talking about a change that absolutely needs to take place, even in a religious leader's life. Uh, respected gentleman like Nicodemus, part of the Sanhedrin of the Jewish council, high council. And he's saying, you must be born again. Now that, that, that reeks of change. And yeah. even John three sixteen, as we all well know, uh, whosoever believeth in him. And I think that that's a loaded term when we're talking about this change of, of attitude as well as action and coming to Christ is absolutely essential and necessary for salvation. Depending on him, not depending on yourself or anything else. We turn right. to God from idols to, to serve the living and true God. You know, pink pink did a tremendous job. Uh, and I listened to somebody read his, his sermon uh, sermons yesterday. It was very long and I just couldn't uh, get over how powerful they were. But uh, he talked about, the different kinds of repentance. I thought this was very interesting. He actually used the example of God repenting, uh, where 
in the Old Testament, we read that God was going to destroy Israel and he repented and did not. And first of all, he said that's an anthropomorphism. It's it's uh, putting God on our level so we understand. It's God speaking in a way where we can comprehend it. God doesn't have to repent because he never does anything wrong. He doesn't have to change his mind. He is immutable. Um, there is no variableness or turning with him, the scripture says. Uh, but he used that and, and equated the principles of that section, which is worth study, um, to the repentance that's necessary for our redemption. And he actually gave illustrations in the scripture of people who repented, but it was not the work of God. And you might disagree. I'm just telling you what he said. Saul, King Saul, uh, Esau, and Judas all acted in a way where you would have to say, wow, they changed their mind, right? Judas threw the silver down. I don't want this, right? But there was no fruit that demonstrated that his repentance was a godly repentance. He didn't go out and follow Christ then. He went out and committed suicide. Yeah, I don't know whether I'd be correct in this, and you you guys might correct me, but I've often pondered about Judas Iscariot's state of heart and mind when, when he throws the silver coins away and he says, you know, he's kind of watching his hands of it all. Uh, would that certainly w- wasn't, uh, as we know it, is what we've been defining here this morning as repentance. Was that more remorse? Yes. He called it emotional. Uh, Esau sought a place for repentance with tears and did not find it. You know, Judas clearly was sorry. He felt guilty. There was remorse, perhaps even shame, but there was no salvation. So that version of repentance is not enough. I think Paul, kind of in 2 Corinthians 7.10, when he says, for godly grief produces a repentance Mm -hmm. that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So he's clearly saying there's two types of grief. Um, And I think Judas was having a worldly grief. and the other folks you were mentioning are having a worldly grief, but not a godly grief. And there's clearly a difference that Paul saw in them. Yeah. So is it the work of God or is it just the work of my, of my own conscience or, you know, the, the shame of social pressure or something of that nature or the consequences of my decision. And he also said, there's a, there's a middle ground, like with Ahab and Pharaoh, where there's reformation. He gave some other examples too where there's at least temporary adjustment, but it doesn't last. And he said that demonstrates that the repentance is still not the work of God. It might be a result of God's presence. In other words, God's doing something. And so, you know, the preacher preaches hellfire and brimstone, and it's, it's really passionate, and the person is stirred emotionally, and you think of the seed falling on the stony ground, the pathway, and, you know, the thorny ground, but there's no salvation. Right. So he he gives those illustrations and then he talks about the repentance that actually produces salvation. And he gave David as the example. How many of us know, you know, us as pastors, um, ministers in the gospel, uh, that you and I, without a doubt, that we have seen people make decisions for Christ or uh, 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 from an outward perspective. Yeah. Profession of Christ. But yet we see a lack of fruit. Uh, that accompanies that decision. And we often have to wonder, did they really give their heart to Christ? Did they really repent of their sins? Are they really saved? 
Now, you and I are not judges over anyone's soul uh, uh, 100%. But, you know, like Jesus or like the Bible says, you will know them by their fruits. Yeah, and it's certainly our job to warn them and say, you better evaluate whether whether it was your own work or whether it was the work of God in you. Um, Getting to that question, uh, Dave, as you were uh, talking about repentance, I don't believe, and I think from Scripture, that repentance does not originate or happen because we want it. Mm. And I think God does that work in our heart to desire and seek Him, uh, meaning that um, repentance is an act that started and originated with God. Sure. Salvation is of God, not of man. Amen. The, the Apostle John, as we bring up John's gospel, uh, Patrick said in the beginning of his gospel, chapter one, he says, he, meaning Christ, came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I think that that could speak to the issue of repentance as well. Uh, salvation is God's business. We are, uh, as preachers of the gospel, teachers of the word, we're used of God, but it is God who does the saving and the drawing. What do you feel like uh, we're not uh, addressing directly? Right. <laughs> this exact timing of does the moment of repentance precede the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the work of regeneration, or does the Spirit move in and then repentance shows up? We're dancing all around it. We're getting close. Uh, we haven't arrived there yet. Well, I guess maybe what I would say to that is that to an unbeliever, one who has not been regenerated yet, the Holy Spirit does not indwell. He sure. comes to us at the point of our true repentance and placing our trust and faith in Christ. So maybe the Holy Spirit is all around it, but Amen. you're talking about the indwelling of the Spirit. I believe that the Scripture would point us to answering that question with the Spirit comes and indwells the believer at the point of salvation. But he's working all around that situation until that time. Yeah. And my point in support of that concept is that there's no way the Holy Spirit is going to move into the heart of an unrepentant sinner. It's just not going to happen. So he has to work through the word. That's the key. That's it. That's the, 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 the presentation of the, of the spiritual truth that uh, demonstrates the nature of God. And, and I think this is seen in Hebrews 6, verse 4 and following. Um, let me read this section to you. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened, enlightened but not saved, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, tasted but not saved, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, listening, interested, submitting to some degree, but not saved, have tasted of the good word of God, experimenting in the church, uh, toying with the doctrines of salvation and even of the powers of the world to come, ex experiencing God's work around them and maybe even on them, like Judas. I assume Judas could work miracles. If they fall away, 
it is impossible to renew them again into repentance. Seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So you have people who are right there. They're right on the edge. And the whole book of Hebrews is saying to that particular crowd, you better pursue. You better seek God while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. If you keep toying around, sitting on the fence, and not going through this entrance, you're going to become an apostate, and then your soul will be damned. There will be no hope for you. So that's where I draw the line, and I believe that's where the Scriptures draw the line, that God works through the presentation of His Word, through the preaching of the truth, and prepares the heart for repentance. But it takes that submission, that act of submission of the will for salvation to occur. God gets all the credit. There's no doubt about it. But it, repentance must precede regeneration. Let me answer your question directly. I would agree. Uh, and for that, the verse, I think you just, uh, the passage you just read certainly shows that. I think also the, the passage in Second Timothy uh, where it says repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Um, all these things seem to show that repentance precedes uh, the actual salvation. What's that text in person. Timothy? Second Timothy 2, really 24 through 26, but that's verse 25. Um, so it's repentance leading to a knowledge of truth. Mm. Um, appears to me that you can't have a knowledge of truth unless you have repentance. Right. That's the way it seems to be worded. But I also want to ask a question um, because this all is all great. And I think we could argue about the scriptures and, you know, which comes first, which comes second. Um, and I think it's important. But the question is, why is this so important from a practical aspect? So if you're maybe the listeners are listening to this and they're uh, they're not a believer in Jesus Christ or, you know, maybe they thought they were believing. They're like, but. I'm not sure I've seen any change in my life. Um, or, you know, they're definitely a believer and they're like, well, how does this affect me when I witness to other people? You know, knowing whether repentance needs to come first or repentance comes after salvation or it's at the same time, you know, what difference does that make? You guys have any uh, practical uh, thoughts for those folks that, you know, would just be listening and say, well, this just sounds like a big theoretical, you know, discussion they're having, but I don't see how it has any real world application to me. I think that there is a uh, word of warning probably that should be shared and made known from pulpits today, from pastors, from Christian leaders and teachers, is that we are not interested in seeing folks just say a simple prayer and believe that because they have uttered some words that sound holy and righteous, that they're saved. And that would be termed easy believism. This is where it gets practical, I think, to me, Patrick. There's no such of a thing in Scripture uh, that Jesus propagates or uh, pushes forward, there, especially in America today. Uh, our, our bookshelves are lined with Bibles. We have the Word of God in all kinds of shapes and forms coming to us and are available to us and that we might get this impression that just because we say a prayer, then we have Christ in our heart and we've got all the blessings that come with being a child of God. Well, that's not so. 
I think that in other countries, we have to go to third world countries and realize there's a cost. Jesus spoke about that cost. You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. So uh, we, we, we almost have been inoculated from persecution um, or lack of it uh, and realize that this is not just a step that because of my own will, because I have done something like utter a prayer that now I'm in the kingdom of God and I've got the security of heaven when I die. Uh, I, I believe we need to just drill down on the essence of the gospel. The gospel is a radical thing. Yeah. It, it creates a radical change. And I believe that we just need to do all that we can do to make that certain and sure in the, in the hearts and the ears and the lives of those who are listening. This is not just a, a word thing. Yeah. Yeah, amen this to that. This is a heart change. Yeah, and, and the destination of the souls of the people who sit in the pews or in the seats in our churches is at stake. Yes. Uh, you know, Jesus said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? He was saying something's wrong here. Something's broken. And you need to check up. You know, uh, make sure you're in the faith. I'm glad you brought up the easy believism thing because, you know, there's ditches on both sides of the road. On every issue you come up with, there's truth and then there's lies all around it. And you can err on the side of strictness and you can err on the side of liberality. On one side, you got some kind of lordship salvation. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Well, every day I'm trying to surrender my life to him and I'm many times finding it difficult. And I'm finding that I've gone back and grabbed something and said, no, that's my territory again. And yet I know with many biblical proofs that I am God's child. And yet I still struggle with this full repentance. And, uh, and Pink talked about that. Um, so you have lordship salvation on one side where you have an overemphasis on repentance to such an extreme that you basically do end up with man saving himself. And on the other side, you have what you call easy believism, where you leave repentance out altogether. You underemphasize it to the point where redemption is cheap and hollow. In both cases, you have a condemned soul. So repentance is not, now I'm doing everything right, because that would be nobody. Amen? Right. Now I'm sinless. <laughs> if that's repentance, then nobody's saved. And it's not just an apology. It's not just Catholic or Baptist confession where I go weekly and clean the slate so that I can go to heaven, you know, just by enumerating my vices. So confession has its place, but confession is not repentance. Confession is appropriate if we are repentant and it will occur, but confession is not repentance. Uh, so the reason it matters so much is because there are people out there who think they're going to heaven because they think they're righteous. Okay, they're, they would actually be offended at the idea that God would send them to hell, right? And they need the true gospel. And there are people out there, as Randall said, who walk down an aisle and they think, yeah, I'm good. And there's no holiness at all in their life. And without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So we don't earn our way to God by holiness. But if we are gods, there will be holiness. The uh, lady that you said in one of the examples that uh, in your ministry there when you were going door to door and uh, 
asking people if uh, they had given their hearts to Christ and, you know, if they were sure and certain if they were to die tonight, they'd be in heaven. You said that young lady uh, who was living with a fellow there in the house, she was uh, aware that something needed adjustment. Yeah, she brought it up. Not me. She was not willing to make that adjustment. That that's not repentance, right? Which, which it, I could have convinced her, no doubt, that Jesus was the Son of God, and that He died for her and paid for her sin. But there's no way that she was going to submit to His authority. See, there was no humility there. No humility. Right. No repentance. Even the what's the scripture? Even the 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 devil believes, or the demons believe, yeah. and yeah. shudder. Yes. yes. You know, believing does not mean following. They're different. Believing is essential. Yep. You have to be careful not to say, you know, not to minimize belief, but you have to be careful not to complicate this matter, right? There are people who are already repentant. There are people who they, they are sorry, they loathe their sin, the work of the Spirit's already been done. And in those cases, it's going to look like an easy believism, one, two, three, repeat after me, salvation. It's going to look that, because they're already there. They just need the simple information of the gospel. Here's the hope. But uh, in my case, it was the opposite way. Right. You know, when you're talking about repentance, and when, as Jesus put it when he was starting his ministry, repent and believe in the gospel. And I think that uh, we... You know, we have a shallow understanding or, uh, of, of what does it mean to believe in the gospel. Well, believe means for us to hang our whole weight. To believe in Christ means technically and literally means that we hang our whole, the whole weight of our, of our condition, ourselves, our past, our present, our future, everything that makes us who we are. We hang it on what Christ did at Calvary. It's not just mental assent of some doctrine, okay, sure. or some teaching. We are embracing the person of Christ and what he did at Calvary. Now, I'll I tell you, that, that's radical. It is. That's, but it, that's radical. It's, it's not necessarily true that everyone who is converted, genuinely converted, born again, regenerated, understands what you just said. Um, yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't think that I understood that completely when I gave my heart and life to Jesus, Dave. Right. And, you know, I was in Christ like, wow, what did he actually save me from? What has the Lord Jesus really rescued me from? Yeah, it's a mystical and mysterious work of God that even a child can buy into. And and let me ask you if you if you buy into this statement, can it be? that both repentance and the fruit of salvation, while they are holistic things, which is what you described, may be illustrated or demonstrated simply by a representative issue. In other words, God may come to a person and deal with them regarding one sin. Okay, not you are a sinner, but you're doing this wrong. And that it can be the representative and test issue. And if they, if if he only deals with that issue and they, and they admit their guilt and, and they yield to the gospel that they're saved and the whole thing is taken care of, but he did it just based, based upon one representative issue in their life. What do you think about that? I think there's a, um, an example in scripture maybe of that. I, 
just makes me think of maybe the rich young ruler, you know, that Jesus uh, was addressing. And it, it didn't mean that the rich young ruler was perfect in everything else that he did. But the main problem that Jesus saw that he needed to, he needed to address was, you know, his reliance upon all of his money. And um, I think, you know, I think God could simply do that. He might, to some people, he might say, well, you got a mess of things you need to deal with, or he might bring to mind, you know what, here's the one thing that's holding you from, you know, turning towards me that you are really, you, it, it's your idol. It's, you know, what you're worshiping instead of me. And I think for the rich young ruler, he was worshiping all of his possessions. And that's why Jesus directly dealt with him on that issue. Amen. Amen. It, I, I think one one of the, the cases to make as far as what true repentance looks like, you can go through several examples uh, uh, in the scripture uh, of what repentance looks like. And that's the account. One of them is the account of the prodigal son coming home. Amen. You know, he goes away from his father, from the presence and the blessings that he knew that he had there at home and of the relationship, and he walks away from it. And then he goes through, and I believe that the Lord is in the process of bringing people and drawing people to himself. Now, I, it's like I say, I don't even know whether I'm even capable of uh, just scraping and skimming the surface here about God's activity that goes on as he draws. You know, even the Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all three involved in this issue of drawing people to himself. Uh, you see the prodigal son coming to his senses. I, ju I just love that phrase in scripture. He came to his senses and it was through the circumstances that he had just walked through, how disappointing and discouraging that he was. And, and you think that God was, was active in that? Uh, yeah, without a doubt. So he came to his senses and he, and, and here's the word, here's the picture of repentance. That's so beautiful in, in this uh, passage. Uh, how many of my father's hired servants had food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So regardless of how he comes to this point, the circumstances have lent itself to bringing him to this place to where he needed, he wanted, okay, uh, to, to be with the father and fellowship with him. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, first of all, I've sinned against heaven. Mm -hmm. And that there's where the ultimate, there's where the, 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 the primary problem is that separates a, a sinner from God is that we have offended holy God. I, I think there's got to be a, a recognition or acknowledgement of that somewhere in this area of what are we, what are we repenting of or from? Yeah, he, he didn't just say, I hate the pig pen. Right. That was true. He hated the pig pen. That, that woke him up. But right. it got deeper than that. And he recognized how horrible his infraction was. And he goes on to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Yeah. You know, none of us are worthy no. uh, for God's grace and mercy. That's not something that we earn. We don't find favor in what we do, what we can bring to the table on that. But, uh, you know, it's just like that, uh, what is it, the Baptist National Anthem, Amazing Grace? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Yeah. Uh, but he saved a wretch like me, you know, we have the wrath of God. Here's the seriousness of it all. Patrick, I think, you know, what is the practicality of all this? I believe that it's got to be, it's Holy Spirit generated and initiated. 
I don't believe that we would ever want to touch that with a 10-foot pole about this idea of us having the wrath of God on us. That's got to be something that is like uh, Peter when he made that statement, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus tells him, this wasn't revealed to you by man. (laughs) I just want to tell you, you didn't come up with that. It originated from the Lord. Amen to that. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, we have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on his son, Jesus Christ, our iniquity. And so what what happens? He goes and looks for those lost sheep. And when he finds us, do we submit to him or do we take off running? That really is what it's all about. And 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel by which we are saved. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, as it was written of him, he was buried. He rose again the third day and he was seen of many. He has been seen of me through the eyes of faith. And now I declare that he is living and ready and willing to forgive all who will come to him in repentance and faith. And that's my challenge to the listener. If, if you've been part of Christianity, but self-righteous, believing you deserve heaven, then you need to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have been uh, a pretender, truly not believing any of this, just cooperating, then you need to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've been ignorant of all of this, maybe just a nominal you know, Christian, just because your parents had the label or something, or maybe you, you've, t- you've been totally ignorant. Somebody shared this podcast with you and you're just like, whoa, I'm drinking out of a fire hose here. You don't have to understand everything. You do have to understand that you're guilty and you're in trouble, but God loves you. He sent his son to die for you and you owe him an apology and you owe him your life. He wants you to follow him. He wants to be your Lord and savior. And if you yield to the spirit and yield to his word, he will enter into your heart. He will make you his child. Heaven will be your home. And it is not complicated. There is simplicity in Christ. So we can wrestle with all the ramifications of the chronology of salvation and all that. And that's interesting stuff and it needs to be discussed. But ultimately you submit to Christ, you're going to be all right. And you don't, it doesn't matter what else you got going on. You could be the greatest theoretical theologian that the world's ever seen, but just knowledge is not going to give you eternal life. Uh, You have to surrender your will to him and put your faith and trust in him as your savior. Well, I don't know what the title will end up being for this podcast. (laughs) Maybe it should be, uh, who's the boss, me or God? (laughs) That might be the clearest uh, title that we could come up with. Uh, thank you for listening to Grace or Grit, uh, those of you who've tuned into our podcast. And thank you, Pastor Randall Blackman and our missionary. And an honor. Thank you, brother. Good to oh, be with the welcome. Bishop of Herlock. Yes. And, with <laughs> and the Apostle Patrick. Yes. Uh, thank you both for spending time with me today. I'm Dave Talley. I pray for God's richest blessings on both of you and on all of those who follow Christ. Uh, as we continue to serve the Lord together. Amen. Amen. Amen.